listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Paige Wilson. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. You're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast brought to you by IBM. This is the show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Thanks for joining us for episode 218. 218, Paige, and we've been gone a little bit. Yeah, I had some stuff going on. We couldn't match up as far as our calendars, and I've been kind of under the weather with all this allergy crap. And we had a whole string of hurricanes. <laughs> no kidding, right? And I think there's another one out in the Caribbean. I think it's a depression. It, oh, <laughs> that's what we need. So, audience, our apologies. We know we missed a couple of weeks. We're, we're working on making sure it doesn't happen anymore. But this is our first Friday Q&A. Before we get into the questions, let's do some reviews. Okay. The first one is, hello, Mark. I am a student at Oklahoma University School of Law's Master's of Oil and Gas Program. I just... Found your podcast, and I have listened to every single <laughs> one since the beginning on Spotify. Goodness, that's that goes way back. It took me about three weeks, but I learned so much. I just joined the street team. I heard one podcast where you would like to have students share their experiences in the programs. I am a non-traditional student who is coming into the industry, and I volunteer to be on the show. I signed up for the street team, and I look forward to getting more involved. I have an international background, and I love hearing your perspective on the way they do in energy in other countries. I have lived on four continents. Wow, that's awesome. And I have seen energy done in several different ways. Thank you for all that you do and sharing your knowledge. Regards, Sheree Crow. Yeah, so when I first saw this, I thought it was Cheryl Crow. I go, whoa, <laughs> she's a listener. That's pretty cool. But I'm actually happier that it's Cherie Crow. And Cherie, welcome to the Oil and Gas Podcast family. I'm glad you joined the street team. I will actually, honestly, I want to get Paige to do it, but I'm going to act like <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go find you on the street team. I'm going to reach out to you. I just appreciate you reaching out to us. And we love our street team members. They're part of our family. And Warren's doing a great job running that group. And we got another one. Five-star review. Fantastic show. Really like the show in terms of how it covers the industry. The industry is really a marvel. And it's a shame how the new generation are not even open to working it yet. Yeah, it is a shame. How would you suggest making the industry attractive to people in their early 20s? And this is from Houston Banker in the U.S. via Apple Podcasts. We need to change the perception of our industry, number one. Number two, we need to change the way that we've historically treated our employees. So historically, we pay really well. We have great benefits. And somebody would go work for a major or super major service company and spend their whole career there. And that's not what this new generation is looking for. They want experiences and different experiences, no matter how well you pay them. So as an industry, we have to be okay with people moving around every few years. But if you think about it, that makes a better, well-rounded employee. You know, if you have an employee that's had 15 years of experience in oil and gas and they've worked for four or five different companies, think how much more flexible and how much more open-minded they're going to be instead of being hardwired in the big red way. Just picking on you, Halliburton. You know, I just, I just yeah. really, just really think that's the, our future. So I think, I think we're getting there. We just have more work to do. We also have to do a better job of publicizing, not politics and not opinions, but just the facts about how cool an industry this is to work. Which, by the way, guess what, Paige? Right. We got a new show coming out, our Elevate show, which is going to do exactly that. There you go. Yeah, perfect segue. And people make fun of my segues. That <laughs> no, that's just me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So first question comes from Ludwig. I'm sure he's so proud that I have that <laughs> down finally. Why did an oil tanker take on refugees in the Mediterranean Sea near Malta? I understand the legal demand to offer assistance to those in need no matter what and how, but we talk about a big bomb. 
people you don't know are sitting upon a bomb? What if someone with guns, grenades is on them? And then I think that's the actual question. Yeah. So let's let's just stop it right there. And, you know, Luthwick is a monthly contributor to our question stack. We appreciate you very much. Thank you for being a listener. So a couple things here. So if you think about the maritime industry and you think about the culture of the maritime industry, it comes back from the days when a couple of brave souls would jump in a wooden boat with a sail, sail away from the sight of land and keep on going based upon stars. So it took some brave people, right, to start the maritime industry. And you fast forward now and that bravery and that culture is still there. And one of the things, and actually we should probably have Ali on the show with our Women's Offshore podcast talk about this. But one of the cultural things in maritime is you never leave people that are stranded or in distress if you can help them. Never. And it's also laws in a lot of places. So international maritime law dictates that any vessel near a boat in distress has an obligation to respond. So what happened is this tanker had a distress call. They went and answered the distress call. And it was an overcrowded wooden fishing boat with with 27 African migrants. Now, Paige, this boat is probably set up to handle six people. Goodness. 27 people, including a pregnant woman and a child. So, of course, the tanker did what culturally you do and what by law you do, and they rescued them. Well, then guess what? But then the Maltese government told the tanker crew they couldn't drop off the refugees, right? And so typically when you rescue people at sea, whatever's the closest piece of land, whether that's the people's country or not, they accept the refugees because they're in distress and they work out the legal and immigration stuff later. And this is one of the first times I've ever seen where government, the Maltese government said, no, you can't dock here. Well, now the tanker's sitting there, sitting in the water, sitting in national waters with the immigrants. There's plenty of medical supplies and food and water, but that's not going to last forever. And so last time I heard about the story in Malta, it looks like they had actually reached an agreement and they actually got those people off using a third party. But I'm not sure why Malta did not allow what was common maritime law and allowed the tanker to drop off the people they rescue out in the middle of the ocean. So good question, Ludwig. And to your point... <laughs> that is a tanker full of crude oil, not probably the best place for people to sit on for hours and hours, but everybody's safe. Everybody's in, in good hands now. And, and once again, this just does not go along with common maritime law or even maritime culture in the world. So there, there's a reason Malta didn't want to let the immigrants there. I don't know what it is. If anybody knows, reach out and let us, let us know. Yeah, that's really interesting. My dad actually lived in Malta for quite some time. What are the odds that that actually came up in the news <laughs> so that you live there? All right. So next question is from... Ian Devlin with Lockheed Martin. Hello, Mark and Paige. I wanted to, first of all, give a massive thank you to you and the team for creating such amazing content and keeping it fast-paced, fun, and highly informative. I recently somewhat of a career change after getting laid off from my first job out of college at EOG Resources as a purchasing analyst with. I am now fortunate to find myself as a procurement analyst at Lockheed Martin and cannot shake the feeling that I'm going to leave the oil and gas industry for good, considering all that is going on currently. I wanted to ask what the future looks like for supply chain and within the oil and gas industry moving forward and and or how I can best leverage myself to move back into the upstream oil and gas, considering that this is a six-month contract position with no guarantee of full employment post-contract. Thank you again for all you guys do. So I've actually spoken to Ian, and I think we might have met him. That's quite the possibility. happy hours. I can't quite remember, but I think so. 
So a couple of things, Ian. First thing, you're actually in a really good place. You know this because you came from the oil and gas industry. Supply chain is an issue for the entire industry, no matter what anybody tells you. The cool thing is you look at some of the companies that do supply chain very well, one of which is Amazon, right? And they're smart warehouses where literally their time on tool is around 90% or what Amazon calls time on task, which is what we call time on tool. It's basically how many hours in a day do you actually get work done? In the oil and gas industry, that number is more like 40%. So just by using technology, you can increase that time on tool in procurement and supply chain almost by 50%. And guess, Paige, guess what company besides Amazon is doing a really good job of that? Who? Lockheed Martin. Uh-huh. Yeah. So Ian, go check out, go find the people that are building the Lockheed Martin smart warehouses. Go buddy up with them, buy them lunch, coffee and everything. Get to know that group really well. Because that type of technology and that change in supply chain culture is coming to the oil and gas industry, and it's coming really fast. So, you know, learn everything you can about smart warehousing, learn everything you can about just-in-time delivery, and it's something that the oil and gas industry needs really bad. And if you want to come back in, I'm telling you, in about a year, you'll easily be able to come back in. And if you have that knowledge, especially around the, the data analytics, dude, you're going to be set for life. And at the same time, if you don't want to come back and you're having fun in another industry, enjoy it, right? Lockheed Martin's a great company. So in that whole DOT, Department of Defense space industry is getting ready to explode as well. So, you know, figure out what you want to do, but go learn all of the new stuff that Lockheed Martin is doing in supply chain and then take that knowledge, make sure it's documented. And then in about a year, if you want to come back, you'll be easily be able to get another job back here. All right. So the next question is from Anonymous. The oil and gas industry in Oklahoma has certainly taken a major hit since 2019. I'm curious if you see the Anadarko Basin, specifically Scoop Stack, making any sort of comeback in the future, or has the industry moved on from us here in the Sooner State? So anonymous, no, the industry has not passed you up. The industry is hurting everywhere, including Oklahoma. The big thing is you got to keep your eye on is break-even price. So Scoop Wells tend to break even around $34 a barrel. Stack wells tend to be about $42 a barrel. And I didn't check today, but I think we're right around $40, $41 a barrel. So the scoop wells are actually profitable today. Will you see a huge increase in activity in the very near future? No. But it's such a prolific play with all the infrastructure. That's the key. A lot of the infrastructure is there, unlike some of the other newer plays, that you're sitting pretty. Once again, you got to look at things like politics. You know, we're getting ready to go through a presidential election in about 15 days, 20 days, something Something like that. that. It's already early early voting here. Early voting, yeah. That's going to play a a role in this. And the same time, what is the state of Oklahoma doing from a political point of view? But the scoop stack is solid. It's proven. It will come back. And I think most of the plays, including the scoop stack, will come back slowly. And I think a lot of that activity will probably start right around the end of the first quarter of 2021. So really not that far away. Three months, four months from now, Mm -hmm. I think stuff will start picking back up. And if something happens in the Middle East, not that I'm wishing it would, but just by looking at everything's going on, you could see that that timetable actually speed up quite a bit. But we got to get through this election first, and then I'm telling you, it will come back. Not only that, everybody's opening up. So, all right. I think you should read the next one. <laughs> I'll see why. <laughs> this is from Jenna. A couple of episodes while talking politics, she said that you don't want to vote for a group that thinks we are the devil and stated that you were terrified. You said that the Democrats will do whatever they can to make us go away. I think your guys are being a little bit overdramatic and maybe need to do a little bit more research into what Joe Biden's platform is as it concerns our industry. 
If you go to his website and look, you'll see that the oil and gas industry is mostly mentioned in his priority of plug-in abandoned wells. I can't imagine that plug-in leaking abandoned wells terrifies anyone. It doesn't, except the guys that have to plug them. Check out the article concerning Joe Biden and our industry. You will see Democrats don't think we're the devil. It's a plan that can work for industry and industry leaders agree. And then she goes on to quote Mike Summers, president of the American Petroleum Institute, and a couple other people that are supporting, somewhat supporting what Joe Biden is proposing. And so- God, I don't. I gotta be real careful. I don't mix my personal beliefs with my professional beliefs here. So, the U.S. Democratic Party absolutely does not like the oil and gas industry. And if anybody, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying all Democrats don't like the oil and gas industry, but as a party, they don't like the oil and gas industry, which is actually interesting to me because they use a lot of hydrocarbons in their day to day work. And I actually went to Joe Biden's website. I looked at the link that you sit. I looked at the New York Times link that you sit. And what's happening is people in the oil and gas industry are scared right now. They don't know who's going to win the election, right? And so they don't want to say things or make enemies now so close. And so you're having a few people in the oil and gas industry saying, well, that's okay. Nobody's saying this is great for industry, not a single person. And I am scared. I, I really am scared for my industry. You know, you can look at things that's happened politically in the past here in other parts of the world. And there are things that were good for the people of those countries, including the U.S., that politics messed up. And that's what I'm really worried that's going to happen with us. You look at what's going on in Germany, or it's been going on in Germany for almost 10 years now, where the They've tried to move to renewables too quickly. They made it government policy. It increased the cost of electricity to the point that they've lost their precision manufacturing jobs. It's increased it to the cost of electricity to the point that people's electricity bill are now equal to their house notes. That's a failed policy, right? And they didn't decrease CO2 emissions. They actually increased CO2 emissions because they had to build so many coal-fired power plants to bridge the gap between the renewables. And that is all straight from politics, right? And I don't want that to happen here. Do I think we'll ever get that bad? No, for a bunch of reasons, because states' rights, we're a democracy, that sort of stuff. Can it get worse for us? Hell yeah. And can it get worse for us in a time in history where our industry is suffering? Yeah. So this politics thing, I really don't like to talk about it. I wish we could have never brought it up on this show or any of our shows, but it is a vital part of our industry and we can't ignore it. Paige, I was actually in Sam's the other day waiting for a rotisserie chicken. This is a true story because <laughs> they're getting ready to come out. And I met this woman of color who's about my age and her and I have different political beliefs and we had the most wonderful, delightful conversation. And I had forgotten that that's how things were, right? Until just recently, I've forgotten that you and I can disagree on politics and still be friends. It's not my way or your way. And I really, really, really wish Jenna that we could get back there. Right? It's just because I have a difference in opinion doesn't mean we can't be friends. It doesn't mean we can't talk through things and discuss things. And this world lately in U.S. politics, where it's my way or the highway, or it's us versus them, I just that just needs to go away. I think social media is a big part of that. Social media is a big part of it. Our cancel culture is a big part of that. Honestly, the two people that are running for the president of the United States are a big part of that. Yeah, right? no kidding. Um, but Jenna, even though you and I may not agree on things, I really do appreciate you writing in and thank you. I tell you this much, Paige, even if people have different political views on the oil and gas industry, as long as they're thoughtful and respectful like Jenna was, I'm happily to read their questions on the show and talk through it. All right. Yeah. All right. So moving on. Next question is from Brendan Webb. Product Champion Pipe Handling System Slumberjay. Hi, Mark. During Everybody's quoting our episodes right now. <laughs> During episode 216 of the podcast released on Friday. <laughs> what time, Brendan? You missed the time. <laughs> you said that Slumberjay has decided to get out of the fracking business 
and they sold their fracking business unit to Liberty. I'd like to clarify that Schlumberger has only agreed to sell its North American pressure pumping business to Liberty. It is keeping its international hydraulic fracturing business unit. Keep up the great work. I know Brendan well. Thanks, Brendan, for writing in. He actually is. Really I was going to say his, his name sounds familiar. He's, he's hit a couple of happy hours. Of, you know, him and I have had I, We might be connected on LinkedIn. I don't yeah. know. I can't keep up with that anymore. Good guy. Yeah, I was wrong. <laughs> Brendan's right. I was wrong. <laughs> I, I made a blanket statement I shouldn't have. But I think when I made the blanket statement, I did talk a little bit about Slumberjay's business. I talked about how well they do internationally and how I would not be surprised if they pull out of the U.S., which I don't want to see that happen, people. I love Slumberjay. Actually, right down the street from, from where we are right now. But yeah, I was completely wrong. Not completely wrong. I, I misspoke on that. So I said that Slumberjay sold their fracking business to Liberty, and what they actually did is they shut down their North America part of the business, sold that to Liberty, and they're keeping their international. So, Brendan, thanks for keeping us on track. All right. So the next one is from Philip, and he's a trucker. What will become of the fuel delivery drivers post 7-Eleven purchase of Speedway LLC? Will they become 7-Eleven fuel drivers or will they not be included in the sale? Nothing being said on the Speedway fuel delivery drivers post acquisition from Marathon. Yeah, so so basically 7-Eleven is buying Marathon's company-owned retail station called Coors. And people, you may not know this, but there are very few oil and gas companies in the U.S. that still have retail stations. When you drive by a Chevron or Shell and Exxon gas station, Exxon and Shell, Chevron doesn't own that. It's somebody called a jobber, right? And they help market it by using their name. But the retail gas stations are the least valuable part of the entire chain from discovering oil to getting it out the ground to moving it to refiner it and to sell it in a gas station. Nobody wants the gas station for it because honestly, most of the money's made from all the stuff, the soft drinks and chips, not yeah. the actual gas station. Now, here's the interesting thing. I'll get to your question in a minute, but here's the interesting thing. So, Paige, how long does it take you to fill up your car? Oh, I hate filling up my car. But anyway, 10, 15 minutes? Yeah, about 10, 15 minutes, yeah. right? So 10 or 15 minutes, you stop to fill up your car. Maybe if you want to, you'll grab a drink or chips, right? Right. Sometimes you just want to get out of there. Right. Now, imagine driving an electric car, and it takes 45 minutes to charge. Doesn't that change the way convenience stores are, are, are operate? Doesn't it give them much more time to be in front of customers to buy all the sweet tarts and pork rinds and soft drinks? That right? makes sense. Right. So this is what I think 7-Eleven's doing. 7-Eleven's seeing this coming. Convenience stores will change the way they do business, and they're actually probably going to be much more profitable as they add electrical vehicle recharging. I think this is 7-Eleven getting ahead of that. This is basically doubling the size of 7-Eleven. It's given a huge footprint on the East Coast, which is very electric vehicle friendly, mm-hmm. right? And they've been growing, but this is going to really just accelerate their growth. So they will now have a presence in 47 of the top 50 metro areas in the U.S. after this acquisition. It's an incredible job of 7-Eleven's merger and acquisition team. I think this is super, super strategic. you know. And like I said, I don't think they're buying them for the retail gas station. I think they're buying them for the future of electric vehicle recharging. Let's see if I write about that. Now, Philip, oh, he put alias. <laughs> so he's anonymous yeah. too. <laughs> so anonymous trucker Philip. Unfortunately, what I think, and, and trust me, neither 7-Eleven or Speedway's CEOs called talk to me about this. Although if they do, this is what I would tell them. I think what's going to happen is that the fuel delivery drivers from both companies will be evaluated and they'll be measured, right? Right. And they're going to keep the top percentage and they're going to let go of the bottom percentage. So, Philip, if you're in that top percentage, I don't know how they measure drivers. I don't know if it's accuracy or cost of fuel or what percentage of load or whatever. But if you're in the top percentage of drivers, you're in a good place. And unfortunately, 
And this happens to every acquisition. If you're in the bottom percentage and, and they don't need you anymore, they're going to have to let, let people know. You know, that'd be a really good question for Andy Lash. It would be a very good question. You know, we have an incredible diverse team. Though. I know. We have experts, everything from trucking to offshore to... Regulatory. Regulatory. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next question. Okay. Next one's from Joseph. And his question is, I am investing in a company that reaches break even if Brent crude price is 16 to $20. How good is that? I'm planning to invest heavily as this company was profitable even during the worst quarter of this year. This company is Maha Energy. If you can have a look at it and share your thoughts, I would be grateful. Cheers from Sweden. Our Swedish brothers and sisters. So, do you know what Maha means? No. Oryx. You know what Oryx is? A what? An Oryx. No. You ever seen that animal? It's a big antelope, and it has its front legs are slightly striped like a zebra. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So, that's an Arabian Oryx, and they were saved from extinction because the countries got together and put together a captive breathing program bred them and reintroduced them in a while. They're they're a, a honey, they're a, a game animal. Of course you would hunt. know that. Yeah. So here's here's <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so here's my take on this. So number one, I think Joe's a super sharp guy and he's trying to, to get free exposure for Maha Energy, which he just did. Right. So kudos to you, Joseph, for fooling us and actually getting us to talk about your company. Second thing, he actually got to talk about why people are investing in it. How smooth is that? I'm investing in a company that reaches break even in Brett crude prices are 16 or $20, right? So now he's got us to talk about the hook for free, right? So Joseph, <laughs> you got a career in marketing, dude. <laughs> My thoughts on this, I find it hard to believe that the break-even point for Brett at $16, that just doesn't seem realistic to me. If it's true, you're on a gold mine, quite honestly. The 18 to $20 range is more than normal. But if it really is $16, and I, he didn't say, is this a public company? If it really is $16, send me a link, Joseph, because I'll actually invest in this. <laughs> that's incredible. And I think Amaha is an EOR company, so enhanced oil recovery. Yeah. And so that's always another thing that's really hard to measure because you have things like lift that have to be figured into that cost. And every well is different. Every well at some point in its life cycle will use artificial lift. So is Maha's $16 point where you're not using artificial lift, in which case still incredible. But anyway, you know, good job, Joseph, for getting us to talk about it. People, you might, we'll put a link in the show notes. You might want to go check out this company. If they really are break even at bread at $16, it's, we need to take a hard look at it as an investment community. And if not, I do appreciate the fact that we have people from Sweden give us a shout out. All right. So the next one is from Jason Seal with Iron Valley Transport. We got a lot of people trucking. Good morning, Mark. I've been a big fan listening to your podcast for the last few years. We have a trucking company up here in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and the oil and gas business is slowing at a crazy pace as it seems these days, at least here in the Marcellus. I keep hearing that after this election, this, and after that election, that, but I honestly don't think things will be the same in drilling, fracking, and even pipeline projects as far as capital spending from the operators. Do you think there will be another uptick if Trump is reelected and probably not if Biden wins? There are a lot of people in this region that really believe that. I know politics can have a lot to do with the ebbs and flows of the industry, but this does not seem like any other election to me. Just want to reach out, say hello, and pick your brain for a minute. Yeah, so uh, actually, Jason actually shot me this note I think on LinkedIn. And I told him this is such a good question I'm putting in, in the first Friday Q&A. And he was so happy. So shout out Jason Seal. Your questions on the first Friday Q&A of the number one podcast and oil and gas podcast in the world. So do I think if Trump is reelected, we'll see an uptick? 
let's back up from that. What we need in the oil and gas industry right now is an increase in use of hydrocarbons. Right. We need the demand to go up. It's starting to happen in Europe. I think it will get back to pre-pandemic levels here in the U.S. around the end of the first quarter of next year. So, you know, April of 2021. And then we need Asia Pacific to gear up and get back to pre-pandemic consumption levels. If that happens, you're going to see an uptick across the entire industry, across the entire world. And especially here in the U.S., we've learned a lot. And this double black swan COVID-19 has driven a level of efficiencies, which we've never seen before. So when everything gets back to normal, watch out, world, because we're going to come out hammering at $35 a barrel as a country. The whole Biden-Trump thing. So this is what I think. Remember, especially in when you're drilling and doing exploration and production, a lot of that work is done by not the super majors, but by independent producers who depend on capital, right? They have to be able to borrow money at an effect at a low rate to make money so they can drill and produce hydrocarbons. I think the politics Regardless of who wins, once demand comes back, I think the big political thing is who's going to make it politically easier for these independent operations to get capital. When I look at it from that way, I have to say the Trump administration is making it easier for companies to raise capital because of the way they're having longer term laws in place. So if you're getting ready to loan somebody money, you want to make sure some law is not going to pop up overnight that's going to hurt your investment. And Trump's administration is doing a good job of that. Same way with opening up federal lands for drilling. You know, all that in the capital market seems like safety, seems like security. And so companies are more willing to lend capital. But the other thing that's happened is we've been through a six-year period where companies were asked, oil and gas companies were asked to grow by their investors, not make a profit. And so growth was the the metric they were measured by. And coming out of this election, that's not how companies can be measured. They can be measured at being profitable, which I actually think is good for the industry and good for the companies themselves. So I do know there's a lot of people think that everything's to go back to, what did Nick say, gumdrops and rainbows? <laughs> <laughs> if Trump is elected and they think it's a go to hell in a handbasket if Biden's elected, for our industry, that's not what I think is going to happen. We got to have demand come back first. And then depending on which political party wins this election, it will either hurt operators' ability to raise capital, in which case you can see a lot of that industry suppressed. And then what's going to happen is we're going to end up buying oil from other parts of the world that don't have the same safety and environmental criteria that we do just because their oil is cheaper. I mean, if you look at Russia, literally their economy is oil. Yeah. Ours isn't, right? Oil's a piece of our economy, but not the whole thing. And if, if Trump wins, what I think is going to happen? I think he's going to continue down the road of helping make energy abundant and reliable for everybody, which is really the, the kind of the key for, for our economic success. So we'll see who wins. You know, either way, the biggest thing that our industry needs right now is, is an increase in demand. Yep. All right. So next one is from Presley Holmes, intern at Apache Corporation. One of my professors recommended oil and gas this week to the class, and I have been a listener ever since. Seriously, guys, you're the best duo ever. And I've submitted you to be guests on Joe Rogan's show. What? Isn't that cool? I laugh when I saw it. It's like one of our listeners spent the time. I don't know what the time is, but somebody had to spend the time to key punch all that information. Wow. I'm stunned. <laughs> He's my favorite podcaster. So I hope you make it. Me too. <laughs> Here's my question. What are the differences in duties between the Texas Railroad Commission and the TCEQ? Seems like there's some overlap. And just love your SAS page. <laughs> How does Presley know you have SAS? Well... It's pretty evident. It is pretty evident. Well, as far as the differences, I, yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of vague. So I had to, I actually had to pull it up and look it up myself. 
But basically, the Rover Commission and the Texas Commission on Environmental Quality have a memorandum of understanding in place, which if you want to really go into depth about it, it's in Title 16, Texas Administrative Code. As far as like complaints and stuff goes, they usually handle, you know, sewage, transportation. This is TCEQ. Right. Right. So basically up to the point of hazardous substances, refined petroleum products, abandoned containers of unknown substances that aren't leaking. That's TCEQ. They do air regulations and permitting and waste regulations and permitting. So, you know, anything that's coming off of tanks or whatnot. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty simple. Yeah. So the Texas Railroad Commission regulates, from an oil and gas point of view, the oil and gas operations. operations correct. Right? And then TCEQ basically handles any type of environmental? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And by, hence, Environmental Commission. Okay. So that, now I get it. So Texas Railroad Commission handles operations. TCEQ handles environmental stuff. Basically. Yeah. yeah so Presley, that, there's your answer. <laughs> you <laughs> might know that would be Paige. And speaking of anybody knowing anything, we never heard back from our IBM shirt winner. I we? was just going to ask you about that. Uh, not a peep. Well, I drew another number. Oh, yeah? People, if you don't know what we're talking about, we give away this really cool IBM shirt. The link's in the show notes. Each one has a unique serial number, and the unique serial number, number one, makes it collectible. Number two, it means you get to get cool stuff. We announced the winner a couple of weeks ago. Haven't heard back from him, so the statute of limitations has expired. We looked up official OGG and statute of limitations. <laughs> And so now we're going to give somebody else a chance to win this really cool secret stuff. But Paige, you know who knows what some of the secret stuff is? I do. You know who else? You. You know who else? No. The street team. Oh, well, of course they do. Well, I gave them a picture. So here's one of the things that's in the secret bag of of goodness. (laughs) So if you're not a member of street team for any other reason, go join so you can see what's here. Anyway, so we're announcing a new winner for the IBM swag bag. And what's the number we're looking for? 78. 78. So if you have IBM shirt... 78078. You have two weeks to reach out to Paige or I or anybody at OGGN. The stuff's in my office. It would make sense to reach out to Yeah, me. actually, that's true. Reach out to Paige. And we got this incredible basket of goodies to give you, courtesy of IBM. And we have new hard hat stickers. And we have new hard hat stickers. So two weeks, uh, what was the number again, Paige? 78. Two weeks, whoever's shirt number 78, let us know. Now, the deal is, once we send you this awesome bag of goodness, you got to put your shirt on and take a picture and send it to us to prove. Actually, you got to send us a picture of the shirt with the number before we send you the bag of goodness, right? That's correct. And I would prefer if they had it on because I mean Photoshop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true, too. And speaking of that's true, too, what's the weekly recount doing? Okay, let me pull it up real quick. United States count is 269, three up from the prior. Canada's at 80, five up from prior. Go Canada. Yeah, internationally, however, 702, and we're about 45 down. Yeah, yeah. Well, Which makes sense. Makes total sense. You know what else makes total sense? <laughs> what? I'm afraid to ask. We moved the street team from Facebook to LinkedIn. Officially Officially. done. Yeah. So if you want to join the street team, go to LinkedIn, search for, is it OGGN street team? Correct. OGGN street team. Warren has put together a system in place. We have hard hat stickers for the street team. We're going to have some other cool swag. There's a survey that we ask you to fill out to figure out what you're interested in helping us with. And then they're building this like machine. They're having ambassadors and lieutenants and 
we have these different groups. We have a group around TikTok. So are, yes. Are, OG, are we starting an army or what? We've been having an army. <laughs> <laughs> but this is an army of people that are doing good stuff for our industry. But Paige, we're going to have a TikTok committee in our street team. Really? So so I'm not going to be doing it, but we will have TikTok dances oh. sometime <laughs> in the future. OGGN. And I can't wait, right? So if you want to come play a part, it's all volunteer group. We actually give us about an hour's worth of work a week. But if you can't do it because life gets away, it's okay. And you're part of our family and our family is growing and it's growing on LinkedIn. So go join people. And then while you're out there, go ahead and join everywhere else. Go check out our LinkedIn group on LinkedIn. That's grown to, I, I, I looked recently, I haven't, close to 50,000, I think by now. No, the company page. Company has, page. Yeah. Close to 50,000. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I just approved a whole bunch of people for the group today and I didn't even check to see what that number was, but it's pretty high. Yeah. I think it's over 4,000. And then guess what else is new page? What? We have a new website, the OGGN website. Refresh launched yesterday. Yes, and don't email us with all the mistakes on there. We know we're working on it. We know. I almost want to say so. They forgot to put a captcha form, which keeps the spam bots from filling out contact forms. But within 30 seconds of them turning that website on, I got a spam (laughs) bot page. Know what knew what they said to me? Basically, I got solicited in a very sexual way by a bot. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> We've since fixed that. But well, it was I'm glad funny. you got some action. <laughs> and then speaking of action, our monthly oil and gas events newsletter has been going out. Savannah's doing an incredible job with that. All the virtual events, all the live events. We have some live events coming up, including something that's incredible. On November 10th here in Houston, it's going to be the first in-person American Petroleum Institute API luncheon. And we have a feel-good story that is incredible. In, in all this doom and gloom that's going on in the oil and gas industry, this is a ray of sunshine. These guys have done something impossible. They have found a discovery that nobody knew where it was. It's bigger than the Permian. Oh, wow. They're drilling, and they're fine with $20 a barrel. Wow. Wait, great feels good. And we're going to live stream it. So not only can you go in person and see this and learn about this incredible thing, we're going to live stream this to our audience of 1.3 million people. So you want to play a role, we'll put a link in the show notes. You can either join the live stream and see what's going on. Or I might, if you're in Houston, I might even show up to that, Mark. Yeah, it's going to sell out. Sell out. Absolutely, it's going to sell out. But my point is we're starting to see real live events go on, and our monthly All Gas Events newsletter will have them all in there. So go sign up. It's free. We put it in your inbox once a month, never spam you. And then if you want me or any of our experts to come speak at any of your events, I've been actually doing a lot of virtual speaking. It's, it's different. It's kind of fun. Let me know. I'm happy to share your details. And then, of course, this was a first Friday Q&A. We do this every month. If you have a question, please submit it. If we use your question on the air, we give you a big shout out. And please remember, the goal is not to stump Paige and I. (laughs) You ready to get out of here? I am. Remember, folks, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. And here's Savannah with Events on Deck. Hey, everybody. It's Savannah from OGGN, and here are the Events on Deck for October 2020. The first five events I'm going to list off are all online, so to start off the month, we've got the Women Offshore Conference, which is an online interactive event on October 2nd and October 9th. Second, we've got SparkCon, which stars our very own Mark LaCour as keynote speaker, and that one starts on October 5th and goes through the 9th. Third, we have the OilCom Conference and Exposition from October 13th through the 15th. Fourth, we have the Ignite Talks with Cognite from October 27th through the 29th. And to close off the online events, we have the SPE Annual Technical Conference and Exhibition, or ATCE, on the same dates as the Ignite Talks, which is October 27th through the 29th. Next, these two events for October are in person. First, we have the Energy API Golf Tournament on October 12th at the Kingwood Country Club. 
And next, we have the Energy API 30th Annual Sporting Clays Tournament on October 30th at the American Shooting Center. Lastly, and most importantly, we have our OGGN live streams. This month, we have three going out, so make sure to tune into those. First, we have Maintaining Critical Infrastructure During Lockdown on October 1st. Next, we have Material Reductions in Downtime that flow to the bottom line on October 15th. And last, we have Strategic Opportunities to Right-Sizing GNA and Achieving Free Cash Flow on October 29th. Now, these dates for the live stream shouldn't be changing, but they may, so make sure to keep up to date on these events by checking out the OGG on Facebook, LinkedIn, or website for more info. That should be all for October, so I hope you guys have a great month, and thank you for tuning in. Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil & Gas This Week Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.